does have it all. All of our pre-owned vehicles are Hubler Q certified, which include a 128-point vehicle inspection, a free Carfax vehicle history report, and two warranties. A two-year, 100,000-mile powertrain warranty and a 30-day, 1,000-mile comprehensive warranty. Visit any of our 13 locations today or click drivehubler.com. Hubler has it all. Dan Duggan, the Giants beat writer, from The Athletic. And, uh, Dan, good to have you with us. Thanks for uh, taking the time to chat with some folks in Indy. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for having me. Hey, uh, after the great start to the season that you got, before we get into the selfish reasoning behind our conversation, <laughs> after you guys got in, off to the, what, 6-1 and one start to begin the season, yeah. how disappointing was it to end the way it ended? Or for those of you on the inside, did you kind of see it playing out the way it played out? Yeah, no, I definitely wouldn't use the word disappointing. You're kind of waiting for the other shoe to drop. I mean, I don't think anyone looked at this as like a 13-14 win team. So when they were on that pace, uh, it felt like regression would catch up to them at some point. And even Joe Shane, the GM, at the midpoint, we spoke about the bye. Uh, he wasn't getting too cocky, but I think he kind of sensed that it was coming. Obviously, it did. Uh, and then, obviously, we end the season with the win at Minnesota. I mean, it ended very ugly in Philly. But getting a playoff win, that's the first playoff win since Super Bowl 46. You know, I've been a long time coming for this franchise. So, uh, yeah, I mean, obviously it ended on a bad note, but I think overall uh, this season was really encouraging, um, you know, despite the, you know, they kind of struggled down the stretch, but still, you know, right the ship enough to get in the playoffs and then win a playoff game. I think uh, everyone kind of feels like the arrow's pointing up here, which it hasn't been that way for a long time. And then the reaction to the the game against the Eagles, I mean, the Giants weren't really in it. Granted, the Eagles are a phenomenal football team. No, I don't see any real weaknesses there. But 38-7 had to be an incredible disappointment to not even be in the game. What did they see from a local standpoint? What was the biggest complaint of what uh, of the way that one ended? Yeah, I mean, like, like I said, definitely a deflating end of the season. You know, as teams go on little playoff runs, you kind of – you know, fans are going to say, hey, we can, we can make a run. Again, I just I don't think they, you know, I think they overachieved this year. So I don't think anyone was really that upset. I mean, obviously the way it went down was ugly. But, I mean, Philly's just a significantly better team. I mean, you look at their roster. I mean, 1-53, to 53, they're just so much better. Uh, and, unfortunately, for the Giants, it really showed up on the field because this coaching staff, I think, had done a great job all year of working around their weaknesses, finding little things they could exploit the opponents. They just couldn't do it against Philly. They were just outmanned, and Philly has a good coaching staff. So it all kind of was a perfect storm, and obviously um, the result was pretty ugly. Hey, Dan, it's Brendan. I know the last time that you jumped on here on The Fan, we talked a lot about Daniel Jones and what he has done in a Giants uniform this year. But I guess looking at the entire campaign and now his relationship with Brian Dable, that continues to grow. Has Daniel Jones done enough in the minds of the people around the building that he is legitimately the guy for long-term action under center in New York? Yeah, he has, and uh, you know, Joe Shane didn't even really play his uh, card that close to the best when he spoke yesterday. Uh, he's got a season-ending press conference. And he, and he actually slipped at one point and said, you know, Daniel's going to be here, but then he kind of tried to put that back a little bit and said, well, you know, we're going to work something out. But, I mean, they're clearly operating under the impression that he'll be there. I mean, they have the franchise tag if they need to go that route. But um, he showed enough that, that they feel like that he is the guy that, um, you know, I don't know, they're going to give him some crazy monster deal. But I think they probably see a, a future with him, give him a few years, you know, that 30 million plus range. And they believe they can build this Ross up around him and that he showed enough that he can be the guy. You know, obviously led him to the playoffs this year, won a playoff game. And they think that there's, there's still more to come if they build up a better roster around him. 
Of course, uh, from an Indianapolis perspective, we're most interested in the Giants because of the uh, coach opening here. Uh, Mike Kafka, the Giants offensive coordinator, Wink Martindale, the Giants defense, defensive coordinator, have uh, both gone through interviews with the coach uh, with the Colts. Uh, let, let's take uh, Kafka first off. Is he ready to be an NFL head coach in your pers- in your uh, opinion? Uh, yeah, obviously that's one of those questions that's hard to answer because I feel like, you know, you never know uh, until they get in that seat because it could turn out like Nathaniel Hackett, you know. Uh, I will say, as far as a pedigree, uh, it's tough to come from a better one. You know, a guy who played kind of all over the league, so he saw a lot there as a backup quarterback. I think a lot of times backup quarterbacks, you know, end up making pretty good coaches. Uh, but then, you know, with Andy Reid, was really in his formative years. Then he comes here with Brian Dable, who obviously – uh, I think he's pretty you know, highly regarded offensive mind around the league, and, and they melded really well together. Uh, but he is still young. He hasn't been doing this for a terribly long time. This was his first year as a coordinator. Uh, so there would be a, there'd be a risk involved if you were to hand it over to him. It's not getting like this super long track record as being this you know, top-notch coordinator. But, you know, as we know, so much more goes into that job anyways. Um, so much of it's, you know, personality-driven and how you manage everything that goes into being a head coach. So I don't think there's any way to know that for sure. Um, but definitely, if you look around at the, the trends in the league, there's been a, you know, a real emphasis on finding these next uh, up-and-coming young offensive minds. And he certainly uh, you know, belongs in that group based on what he's done today. Yeah, you mentioned personality, and I think that's huge uh, for an NFL head coach or head coach at any, at, at any stop in, in any sport. What is Kafka like on a personal level? <laughs> well, I'll say this. Someone wrote from a different outlet wrote a feature on him recently and spoke to his mother, and even his mother said he's boring. So that, <laughs> that kind of could tell you what you're getting if mom is going on the record saying, yeah, he's pretty boring. I mean, that is definitely uh, the impression I got from the podium, but you don't know if it's different kind of behind closed doors. But again, if mom's saying that, I think it's fair to say that's not an act. He's very dry. Um, I mean, he's a really nice, pleasant guy. You know, I've spoken to him and stuff, and, and it's not like he's you know standoffish, but he is definitely – you know, he spent a brief time in New England. Maybe some of the Belichick media relations rubbed off on him. He just, he's buttoned up. And um, I don't think you're ever going to get big press conferences or even just behind closed doors. I mean, I don't think he's a guy who's going to be flipping tables at halftime and stuff. You know, he's much more of a cerebral type guy. But again, you know, kind of going back to the, the point, so many different ways to be effective in that role. There's guys who have his type of personality who have had success. I don't think that is a prerequisite, but definitely – the reason why I was, I'm interested to see how this pans out for him, I would not think he would be a guy who would go into the interview room and just blow some owner away. Like, he just does not have a really big personality. And for a guy like him who doesn't have this, you know, long track record, I would think he would need to win somebody over an interview room. So, I mean, he's already got a, a second interview with uh, Houston, I think, already on the docket. So, he's obviously done well. But that is the one thing I was a little curious how that would go because he definitely is not a big personality. I didn't realize he's a Chicago guy. He went to one of my rival high schools. That explains. Yeah, no, but, went, yeah. and went to Northwestern. Yeah, St. Yeah. Rita guy. So that explains the dryness for sure. <laughs> but uh, here's my here's my question, Dan, about Mike Kafka. Here in Indianapolis, when Frank Reich was the head coach and when Marcus Brady was the offensive coordinator, all play calling went to Reich and really the offense was formulated by Frank and Marcus Brady was kind of just there as the system guy and more so a glorified quarterbacks coach. So with Brian Dable and you mentioned the offensive mind that he was in Buffalo then going over to New York, how much of the offense was ran by Kafka, if any, and what really was his role in New York offensively? Yeah, it's a good question. So, I mean, the bones of the offense is definitely more Dable than anything else. He came in, 
brought his quarterback coach, brought his O-line coach. So, like, they were running, you know, basically based on what they did in Buffalo. But it wasn't an accident for the captain to an assistant from the Andy Reid tree. And definitely, you know, it'd be crazy not to infuse some of the ideas there. So they definitely melded it together. So I think, you know, when you ask them questions, this more like the Chiefs or the Bills, they give, you know, kind of a stock answer to the Giants offense, which, you know, these coaches are good at those types of uh, little expressions and whatnot. But uh, so they definitely melded it, but I would say more Dable. But then as far as once it became the play caller on game day, as we got into the season, Gasco was calling the plays. Like Dable uh, very much wanted to be the CEO over the whole operation. He did not want to have his you know nose buried in the play sheet. So he turned that over to Kafka. Now, I'm sure he was very involved in the, the week, you know, leading up to the game, the, the game planning, how they're going to attack the opponent. But on game day, he basically, you know, obviously he's given input, but you can't give too much input in 40 seconds. You know, Kafka's making those calls. So he was the play caller. Like, it wasn't one of these situations where he was just kind of uh, an OC in title only. Like, he was the OC, uh, but certainly – Dable had a heavy influence on how the offense operated. Yeah, it hasn't been a big body of work, but I've been impressed with it. And, and as you mentioned, the opportunity to work with Andy Reid. I mean, he works closely with Mahomes. Uh, that's uh, that's a pretty good opportunity, and it's nice to have that on the resume, even though just one year as coordinator, not sure I'd uh, invest my franchise there. But uh, still, I, it's... It's a good place to look, that's for sure, 35-year-old Mike Kafka. Let's turn to the other side of the ball for the Giants. Wink Martindale, the Giants' defensive coordinator, also interviewed with the Colts, 59 years old, kind of a lifer as a defensive guy. He's been a coordinator at, at what, Baltimore, Denver, uh, now the Giants. How about his uh, perspective or or his uh, chances as a head coach from your perspective? Yeah, well, I mean, Definitely a very different personality. <laughs> like Wink is very much more loose and uh, comfortable in his own skin. He'll he'll come in if he gets a job. He'll have people cracking up during the opening presser. Like he has a great personality. Um, you know, he left Baltimore on kind of weird terms because he was the, the, he was there for like ten years. He was a DC for the last four, had top five scoring defenses in three of the last four, three of his four years. But the last year things kind of went haywire. Him and Harbaugh sort of came to a mutual decision to part ways. And I think a big part of that was, I think Wink, you know, he's, he's nearing 60. He really, really wants to be a head coach. I think he probably felt like he had capped out in Baltimore. So coming to a big market like New York, getting the opportunity to totally run the defense because, again, Dable's an offensive guy. I think a lot of that appealed to him. So there's no hiding that he wants to be a head coach, but he just really hasn't gotten a ton of opportunities. The interview for the Giants job in 2020 and before this indie, indie interview, I think this is that was the only other head coaching uh, shot that he got. So uh, I think, you know, he knows the clock is ticking. He needs to get an opportunity to kind of strike while the iron's hot. But uh, I think he'd be a really good head coach. I think he has this sort of outlaw image and stuff. But when you actually talk to him and talk to his players, he's way more cerebral than he comes across. Like his, his game plans were very flexible. I mean, he definitely has a, a DNA of being pressure, pressure, pressure. But he's adaptable, and I think players love him. Like, players really rally around him and will play for him. So, uh, if you're talking of those two guys who I'd be more excited as a fan, like, I think Wink would generate more excitement. But that's not to slight cap because I think he's a really smart football mind. I just have no idea how he'd be as a, as a leader, whereas I think Wink definitely has the leadership down. The question with him would be, like, what would he do on offense? Because he is strictly a defensive guy in his background. We're visiting with Dan Duggan, the Giants beat reporter for The Athletic, the Mower Shop, and the MowerShop.com. Uh, bringing uh, this interview to you and uh, we appreciate Dan taking some time would the Giants most uh, be uh, hurt by losing Kafka or Martindale yeah, and again this isn't the slight Kafka it would definitely be Wink just because 
you know, again, Dable is an offensive guy. He has a lot of hands in there. Uh, and Wink runs such a unique scheme. It's not something you could just find someone to plug in and run what he runs. So if they were to lose him, it would sort of be kind of back to the drawing board. You have to like figure out what your defensive identity is going to be. You can't, you can't just ask someone else to run what he did, I don't think. Uh, whereas with Kafka, again, he had a big influence here. But I just think the, the blow would be cushioned a little bit by the fact that, you know, Dable could step in a little more if need be. Uh, again, whoever comes in would sort of be running his offense. And now they, you know, they have the Kafka element. So I think just based on the head coaching background, it's, it's pretty easily um, that Dable would be, I mean, sorry, that Wink would be the bigger loss for the staff. Dan, this is probably more so a training camp question, but when you're around the players and you get a sense of, their interactions with both of these guys, Kafka and Martindale. Did you have an understanding that most, if not all, on the Giants roster respected these guys, number one, and then also enjoyed playing for them? Yeah, and I think that's both of them. Like I said, they have very different personalities, but they both, uh, in their own way, connect with players. Uh, never you know, never heard any grumbling in the locker room or anything like that. I think they're both the, you know, good guys, so to speak, and, and players rally around them. I just think that Wink's, uh, had just a little bit. He has, he's more charisma. Like there's no way to, you know, two ways to put it. So I think players really rallied around him. And you like defensive players like swore by him. You know they'd run through a brick wall for him, that type of thing. Kafka just, you know, he's really smart, does a really good job. But I don't think he just engenders those types of feelings in his players because again, he's just more of an understated guy. Hmm. Good stuff. Uh, good insight there into the Giants situation and, and how that impacts the Colts and their coaching search. Dan Duggett, the uh, Giants beat writer from The Athletic. Thanks for uh, taking the time, Dan. We appreciate you. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks, guys. Thanks, Dan. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. Did you know St. Jude has one of the largest pediatric sickle cell programs in the country? St. Jude freely shares the discoveries they make, and every child saved at St. Jude means doctors and scientists worldwide can use this knowledge to save thousands more children everywhere. Join me today in helping to fight sickle cell disease by becoming a partner in hope. Call now, 1-800-411-9898. That's 1-800-411-9898. The television play-by-play voice of the Indiana Pacers, Chris Denary, is our guest here at the top of the hour from the hotline brought to you by the Mower Shop and Fishers and themowershop.com. Chris, it's great to have you as always. No Tyrese Halliburton again tonight, but reports that I'm reading are Rick Carlisle pretty happy with at least the non-contact progression for Halliburton getting back on the floor. So all in all, Chris, that's pretty good news. Yeah, I think that's the best news, and, and the best news was a little over a week ago, or you know, when, when he went down in New York, you're thinking the worst, and then uh, the next day it came out that they hoped he would be back, uh, you know, hopefully by the first of February, and, and and it looks, you know, like he's progressing pretty well. Uh, the good news is you've got a game tonight, then we go to Orlando tomorrow, and then you've got Milwaukee on Friday and at Memphis on Sunday. And then you don't play again until the following Thursday. So uh, for what they're looking at, hopefully that all shakes out that uh, Tyrese could be back uh, for that first game in February. But we'll just have to wait and see. But the good news is he's progressing very well. And the Pacers need him. I mean, it's it, not to put it all on one guy, but uh, they're 1-7 without him this year. And the, the offense 
while a lot of people will look at the defense uh, over the road trip, it was really the offense. And uh, Tyrese is such uh, a big player in that and how he orchestrates things. So uh, they've had to do some different things, and uh, they'll have to do some different things tonight against the Bulls. Hey, Chris, um, it's Vince. Uh, Good to uh, chat with you. Uh, How about with Halliburton being out, and, and I know that that makes a huge difference, but the Suns were without multiple players, uh, the Bucks, the Grizzlies. When you when a guy goes out, especially at this level, somebody else has got to – I mean, it's the NBA, man. Somebody else has got to step up and make it happen. And um, if one guy is going to make the difference between you being a team several games over 500 and you being on a seven-game losing streak, then maybe there's a, a deeper issue. Who has got to step up and get this thing turned around for the Pacers? Well, I think the one thing is, uh, you know, they've turned it over way too much. Uh, I think during the seven-game losing streak, it's like 17 per game. But I think, you know, one of the things that, you know, the advantage that these other teams have, and, and if you look back at Phoenix, they've won three straight now. But I think they're four and fifth. They were four and thirteen without Devin Booker, who's their All Star. Um, and you know, they were in the finals a couple of years ago. And in Milwaukee, yeah, they don't have Giannis, but you know, that's a, a championship contending team. And, and so these teams, uh, I don't want to. I don't know if they have a lot more depth. I think the Pacers' depth is pretty good, but it's better experience depth. It's it's players that have been there and done that deep into the playoffs, and that's something you know, that the Pacers don't have. They're, st- they're still trying to figure that out. So you know, if, if you look at it, I mean, T.J. McConnell's had, had a great road trip. I mean, he, uh, you know, started the road trip with a career-high 29 off the bench and then goes for a triple-double against Phoenix. I, I think it's got to be more collective, and they've got to shoot the ball better. I mean, that's one of the things in the previous seven games before the road trip, they were shooting nearly 50% from the field. And if you look at, at the last seven they're shooting 42% from the field, and, and those numbers are going to make it very hard for you to win games. Uh, so I would say, Vince, collectively, you know, each guy has to step up and take care of his own business, and I think that would help the team collectively. Yeah, that old philosophy or the saying, what, next man up, I mean, we hear that a lot, um, but it really is true, and uh, I think, that especially with a young team, it's it's maybe sometimes hard to find that guy that feels comfortable stepping into that role. The Pacers have what seven, by my count, seven key players, twenty five or younger, hmm. and Miles Turner is twenty six. Uh, I mean, the He's fu- the old man. Yeah, but the <laughs> the future is so bright. But I, it just bothers me a little bit that. With this opportunity, somebody hasn't seen it as their time to kind of take over and uh, and and make it happen. Easier said than done, I, I realize, but but it is it is the NBA, and I and I would echo your sentiments about T.J. McConnell. I mean that dude, and he's fun to watch. I mean I just love yeah. the energy that he brings to the table. Yeah, there's no question, and I think one of the things I, I did a little dive into the last seven opponents. Unfortunately, you hit a bunch of opponents that were playing pretty well. Memphis, a long win streak. Denver, a long win streak. I think of the last seven, they've won like, uh, if, if you look at each one of the opponents' last 10 games, they've won 65% of the games. And so that made it difficult. And then I think, you know, you look at somebody like Andrew Nemhard, who I think is going to be really, really good. I mean, the first pick of the second round, 
But without Halliburton at times, you put a lot on his plate because now he's got to run the team. You still want him to score, and he's been defending usually the best perimeter player. So those are three things that all of a sudden have landed on his plate, and I think that's a lot to handle. And, and you know, he's, he was under the weather the last few games of the road trip, didn't practice yesterday. I don't know what his availability will be tonight. So you're right. I think, you know, one of the things that you found through this is I think the team did so well early. They exceeded any of our expectations. Uh, they were 23 and 18 through the first 41 games. So you get a little greedy, right? You, you think, oh, man, you know, let, let's, let's keep pouring it on. And then you get a little bit of a reality check, especially when you go on the road and you're playing without Halliburton. So, yeah, it's, it's you know, time for some guys tonight uh, back home. Uh, you know, just to kick it up a notch and, and do it against a team that's probably playing as well as they've played this year. It's a team that to some extent has underachieved. I mean, they're two games under 500. The Bulls, they've got three all-stars in Vucevic, DeRozan, and Levine. So uh, it'll be a tough task tonight against the Bulls. Chris, my question on McConnell is the work ethic side of it because – Having a guy like that to look up to, I'm sure, for a Nemhard, Mather, and even throw Halliburton in there, and I realize James Johnson has done a lot of work at the end of that bench, too, but when McConnell does it on a nightly basis and sort of acts as that spark plug, what does that do in your mind for a young player, a young guard, watching him do that? Well, I think this team is so close, too, when you look at their camaraderie and the culture that I think they've established with this new group. I mean, they're they're all in for everyone, but especially they see a guy like T.J., who puts in so much work. And, you know, I had a chance on the road trip to talk to Jenny Busick, who works a lot with TJ and they really broke his, his shooting motion down and, and in effect changed his shot a little bit um, just to, to, you know, to give him more confidence in shooting the basketball. And, you know, right now he's a 50, 40, 90 guy. I mean, he's shooting 50% from the field. Uh, 90% at the line, and he's hit six of his last eight from three-point range. So you have to give a lot of credit to a guy like that who's eight years into his career, he's 30 years old, and making adjustments to get better because a lot of players wouldn't do that from the standpoint that they wouldn't want to change or uh, you know do something different than what they've done the first you know six or seven years. So, yeah, you have to give him a lot of credit. I mean, he's somebody that you just root for. The fans love him. Uh, you know, he usually comes off the bench. Uh, he had to start uh, the other night in Phoenix. And, and I would guess if, if Nemhard's not available, then you'd see McConnell again in the starting lineup. Chris, you mentioned Jenny Busick. Uh, who's winning the game of horse amongst the assistants uh, for the Pacers? You got Busick, you got uh, Ron Norad, Calbert Chaney. I mean, who's, who's top yeah. notch there? Well, let's see. You got to throw Lloyd Pierce. He yeah, Lloyd, in the back, gamer. He started yeah. in the back. Yeah, yeah, he started in the backcourt with Steve Nash yeah. uh, in college. Um, boy, I tell you what, Jenny can shoot it. There's no question about that. But I think if you if you were to break it all down, and then you had Gennaro Pargo, who's a part of the the staff, yeah. and and you know he was an NBA player. But I think we all would probably look at Calvert Cheney, right? I mean, the you know one of the the great players ever at IU and what, what is he the all-time big 10 scoring leader uh, Calvert's 50 plus now, but mm. I see him loaded 
mm-hmm. on a regular basis. So that guy can can continue to 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 shoot. So I might have to go with Calvin. Still got the stroke, huh? Record. Yeah, yeah, that's still awesome. got the, that. Never leaves you, right? It, you know, your your wind and your endurance and your ability to get up and down the floor. But that shooting stroke, it, it never leaves. Hey, I, I want you to kind of take us to the broadcast side a little bit because, um, and I'll, I'll, I want to get in a little bit to our background. I mean, you and I have known one another, so I think we first met back in the late 80s, right? Um, yeah, it's a long time, yeah. We were, right. uh, and I'll just give you this little bit of story here. Show up at, uh, I was working for a radio station in Richmond, Indiana. It was my first job out of college. And we broadcast... Um, all of the state championship back then it was one class system and you broadcast and our radio station there in richmond we brought whether richmond was still in it or not we broadcast all the games throughout the state tournament you know and richmond was in the indianapolis semi-state so you'd go to hinkle and you'd broadcast the semi-state and that was a time when there would be a row of just radio station after radio station after radio station and our radio station uh, station that year got seated there uh, on, on radio row and uh, about midcourt and next to me was uh, i didn't know chris at the time but was chris denary and that's how Chris and I first met. And I think your wife was maybe like keeping stats for you and your dad was working yeah. the game with you. Yeah. And um, and uh, it was just, uh, you know, two broadcasters happened to be seated next to one another, met one another, and um, literally 40 years later almost uh, still friends. So uh, that's pretty cool. I've never forgotten it. One of the things that impressed me is Chris had that big Wabash ring on. <laughs> Yeah, throwing the bling around just to make sure everybody knew that he had the game. And, uh, yeah. Well, give us a little scouting report on your game back in the day, Chris. Oh, I I was a valuable reserve in college. (laughs) That's what I like to say. I mean, I I had a really nice high school career. Uh, My last two years at Westfield, played for my dad. And then uh, went to Wabash and played all four years. Uh, Who was your coach at Wabash? It was Mac Petty, and uh, in fact, uh, in a couple of weeks, we're going to have our reunion of our national championship team, so so that'll be good. But uh, yeah, it was a, a, a tremendous experience, and for me, also from day one, when I walked on campus, uh, you know, my dad had encouraged me. He said, I think you'd be pretty good at this. You ought to go look at that radio station, and ironically, Vince, and you worked at WNDY, yeah. the radio station was WNDY mm. back in 1979 when I got there. Wow. So, um, you know, I went and, and went to the table and signed up and said, okay, what do you do? Um, because, you know, back in 1979, no, there were no high school radio stations or you didn't really have those yeah. opportunities. So uh, that really was a game changer for me to get that experience uh, from day one and, I became the the voice of the football team for two years. Couldn't do basketball because I played. Um, But, yeah, it was a a great experience. And then, you know, back to those days, you know, those high school days, uh, I was the voice of – I was at UND, and I was doing games for Bill Shirk at WXLW, and um, my dad was my analyst. And I can – I still have – I still have some of those cassette tapes. I mean, they're almost 40 years old. But to be able to do that with my dad was was really, really special. Yeah, and I uh, loved seeing your dad, even when we weren't just doing games, to just bump into him someplace and uh, talk sports and and uh, always a good conversation of basketball. I love coaches anyway, so I uh, loved your dad. And uh, that was – it's it's funny, I've never forgotten the oper- – you know, sitting there at that game and – thinking man this guy next to me he looks like he's pretty switched on and uh little did i know he'd become kristen Air. so now a long time television voice and face to the pacers how many years has it been now 
17. 17 uh, years. The, I was the radio voice of Butler for 17, yeah. and then alongside Butler and Pacers, I did the Fever for 18. And uh, this is the 17th is the TV voice of the Pacers on uh, Valley Sports. So, so yeah, it's, it's been quite a run. I've got to believe it was one of the uh, great thrills for you to get back on the road to the games this year. Because COVID era, you're broadcasting games from the studio. Uh, here in Indianapolis. Yeah. And and I've been there. I mean, when I was doing the truck series uh, at Fox, we did half the races from the studio, called them from the studio. So I get it. Um, but take us kind of behind the curtain, if you will, as a broadcaster and what that's like doing that and, and the joy of getting back to the game and, and uh, being there live versus being in the studio. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. Hey fam, I'm asking for your support. Help us raise money for St. Jude's Children's Research Hospital. Families never receive a bill from St. Jude for treatment, travel, housing, or food so they can focus on helping their child live. By pledging just $19 a month, you're helping St. Jude give every child with cancer a chance. Help St. Jude save lives. Call 1-800-411-9898. That's 1-800-411-9898 and become a partner in hope today. Yeah, I mean, the one thing that I, I think that, you know, people don't realize is that the, the ability that you have to make connections with the players and the coaches when you're on the road because they're – you know, there's a lot of downtime. You're on planes, you're on buses, uh, you go to shoot around, um, those types of things. Uh, you know, for instance, we stayed the night on Saturday night after the game in Phoenix, and then on Sunday we flew home, but we had a breakfast for the entire travel party before we got on the buses to go to the airport. And, you know, you're sitting at a table with Coach Carlisle and, and Ron Norad and players. And those are opportunities that you have to, to build relationships because, I think when you're when you're the play-by-play voice of a team, and, and the same would be for Quinn as the analyst and JJ and all of us that travel. I mean, you're that tie to the fans, really, with the players, and there's a trust that you build uh, with the players and the coaches. And I think it's it's more easily built when you're around. Um, you know, we have the great benefit that we can go to any practice, we can go to any shoot around. There are some teams that broadcasters aren't allowed to do that and clearly during covid you know the the toughest year was that first year where we couldn't go to practice we couldn't go to shoot we couldn't we we couldn't be around the players or the coaches so everything we were doing was via zoom can you still do it sure you can but you you don't build those relationships and uh, i i think especially when you have a new and a young team um and and you've got guys that that you haven't worked with before, it really becomes essential that, that you can be around them and learn about them. So there's no question that, you know, from that standpoint, I think it really helps your broadcast because, you know, wh- wh- I, I remember I used to tell my dad, this was a number of years ago, Vince, we did a couple of studio games uh, back in the, in the fever the time I was doing the fever. And I remember talking to my dad when he was still alive. He goes, Hey, how do you do that? What's it like? I go, dad, 
I'm watching the same thing you're watching mm-hmm. at your house. I'm just the one talking about it because <laughs> because I'm watching the the, the yeah. same monitor and I'm getting the same picture. So when you're in the building, no matter where you are, if you're courtside or if you're up, there's just other things that you see. So those are, you know, those are all the advantages that you have when you're live on site. Yeah. And, you know, one of the other things, too, is you used to always be courtside. And now I know that uh, some uh, arenas have the broadcast locations up a little bit, especially for the radio guys. I'm not sure if as the TV, uh, as the TV crew, if you're always courtside. But it, we see so many more uh, fan seats courtside yeah. now than we used to. Uh, and then the other night in uh, Los Angeles, you had the incident with Shannon Sharp, who got involved with uh, an argument with the Memphis Grizzlies players, and they had to be separated. And eventually, Sharp was escorted from the arena or from the court, took him back behind uh, in the locker room area, and then he was able to come back out later. But ha- are you seeing more interaction, fan? And I, I got to believe that's a tough position for the players and coaches sometimes when so many more fans are accessible and feel entitled to engage the players and coaches. Yeah, I think it's, there's pros and cons. I mean, I think, I think it's the great thing about the sport is that you can be so close as a fan that you can really gain an appreciation of how fast, how big, how strong, you know, how quickly the game moves, but they're also, you know, it can create some negatives as well. Um, we're probably of the of the thirty venues. Uh, we're probably half and half from a TV standpoint. Probably fifteen down and fifteen up. Um, in Utah, back in November, I was a little bit under the weather, um, and and I we were way up. I felt like I was on the moon. I mean, we were so high. I was like, uh, you know, I, it, my hearing wasn't my. My hearing wasn't great. I mean, I had a lot going on. I'm like, man, I feel like I'm on the moon. But um, I'd say half of the places, it's like we have at Gamebridge Fieldhouse where we're either right next to the bench or we're on the scorer's bench. Um, So, like I said, I I think that's the beauty about basketball is that fans can be close and they can get a real feel for what's going on. Uh, but but at times there can be some negatives as well as those players are so close to the fans. Chris, my broadcast question comes from what just happened the other day on the radio side with Mark Boyle, 3,000 Pacers broadcast, and that was an awesome video that the Pacers put out with Rick Carlisle giving MJB the game ball. Um, you and Mark obviously have worked with the Pacers each for a long time. So what do you think you guys learn from each other most? Well, there's no question. I, I, I learned a lot from him back in my Butler and my Fever days is just listening to Mark. I don't think there is anybody that I've listened to that is as descriptive and paints a picture as Mark. And and when you're doing radio, I mean, that's that's the thing that you want to do is you want to paint the picture so that the listener, wherever they might be in their car, sitting at home, that they can visualize what's going on in a game. So uh, there's no question that, that back in the day, uh, I mean, I, I used Mark as somebody that I listened to and, and wanted to improve my radio broadcast game after game. And, and I think now as, as, you know, colleagues, I do TV, he does radio. I mean, we bounce things off each other. We share information. I mean, um, I get some stuff 
um, during the day um, that I forward to Pat Boylan and Mark. And so, you know, it, it's all about making each of our telecasts and broadcasts better. I mean, there are some people that, you know, may start out the game listening on radio because they're out and about and they finish watching on television or it may work in the opposite way. So um, it's all about, uh, you know, putting out the best product that we can put out, both radio, television, digital, all those kinds of things. And, you know, there's only a handful of people in, in sports that have done 3,000 games with one team. Um, so, you know, just a tribute to him after 35 years, what he's been able to accomplish. And uh, how many of those years have you worked with Quinn? All 17. Uh, all 17 years. Um, when I first started out, I also had Clark Kellogg. He would do about 20 games. And so I would bounce a little back and forth between Quinn and Clark. But, yeah, uh, Quinn and I have been together for 17 years. And now I know this as a broadcaster. When you work with someone, and, and I've not worked side-by-side side with someone for that long, but your broadcast partner kind of becomes like your traveling spouse in a lot of ways. I mean, you get eventually at some point you get kind of sick of seeing them or, you, you know, they, they rub you the wrong way occasionally. How many times do you or Quinn kind of get in a situation where you have to bite your tongue? <laughs> oh, you know, I'm, I'm sure that happens. There's no, I mean, there's no. Don't lie to me, Chris. We've known each other yeah. too long. Yeah. I mean, and I mean, it's not docking Quinn or, or well, not ask him the same well, about you. I mean, it's just. Me. I, yeah. you know, I may say something that irritates him, <laughs> or that type of thing. But yeah, I mean, it's one of those situations where the one thing that, that he coined a few years ago, and I give him credit for it. He goes, look, we're in infotainment. Um, you know, we're, pro- we're providing information, but at the same time we have to entertain and, a case in point, we had a, a, a premium ticket event last night, and I was able. We were all able to be there with some players and visit with, um, you know, our fans and our season ticket holders and our our sponsors. And I had one guy, you know, he said, "Hey, we if we're not at the game, we watch every game with you and Quinn." He goes, "You guys are in our house like four nights a week," yeah. and and that's, you know, when you think about it. That's for about six months. That's what we are. Mm. And so we've got to make sure that we have fun and, and, you know, energize people about the team because it's a long year and it can't be all just, you know, straightforward facts and numbers and those types of things. So, um, yeah, we, we, we have a lot of fun with it and uh, look forward to it each and every night. Yeah, I, I think you guys do a great job. And, and it's it, it, you make it look easy, and I've, I've done it enough to know it's not, and, um, and including that, that back and forth with your partner, and you guys do a good job. Hey, uh, basketball question before we let you go. Uh, the Hashimura trade, um, they, uh, the Lakers acquired him. I saw that the Pacers were a team that uh, maybe had dipped their toe in the water with Hashimura. They they gave, uh, what, the Lakers gave up uh, three second-round draft picks, yeah. and, and Kendrick Nunn doesn't yeah. seem like a high price for a guy that was picked ninth in the draft a few years ago. Were you surprised that he went that cheap, and, and were the Pacers in the mix there? I'm sure, you know, they're always – I mean, there's always discussions going on. You never know. You know, I, I follow it just like the fans. I mean, just try to figure out, you know, what's out there. And, and this is the time of year where a couple of weeks away, well, really, I guess 
little over uh, a little over a week away from the trade deadline, those kinds of things. I've always liked Rui Hashimura at uh, Washington, and it makes a lot of sense uh, for the Lakers. I mean, you know, so, so much has been made about their two first-round picks in 27 and 29 that I think they really want to hold on to because they don't know how long. I mean, it's only 2023. You know, how long is LeBron going to play? He's 38 years old. He's still putting up fabulous numbers. But, you know, I'm not sure the Lakers want to mortgage their future in that situation. So that's – I give them a lot of credit. I think that's a pretty good deal. Um, They've got enough backcourt depth that I think they can do without Kendrick Nunn. But Hashimura gives them somebody that can shoot the three and give them some minutes at uh, the forward position. So that's the first one to fall – that should set in motion, I think, an interesting next two weeks to see what happens with, you know, trades and those types of things across the NBA. Kristen Airy, our guest on the hotline, brought to you by the Mower Shop in Fishers and themowershop.com. Last thing from me, Chris, uh, the report I'm reading right now, Daniel Tice not available tonight, of course, but uh, the Veteran Center is progressing well in practice per ESPN and could be available soon. I know the trade deadline is the trade deadline. We'll see what happens with both buy and sell stories. But Tice, you would think he would slot in pretty well on that second unit. I don't know if you've seen him in practice, but if you have, how does he look and how do you think he would be able to gel with that second unit? Yeah, he's starting to do more. There's no question about that. I mean, he's starting to get more of a run. I mean, he played all summer uh, with the German national team in Eurobasket and then had a procedure uh, to clean up some things in his knee. So he's a guy I've always liked. I mean, when you look at what the Pacers were able to get in the trade for Malcolm Brogdon, Aaron Neesmith has done a really good job, almost a double-figure score. Um, they got the first-round pick from Boston, which will you know probably be in the late 20s because of where they are. But, you know, Daniel Tice is a very capable player. I mean, I, I'm sure Boston was, was not thrilled to have to, you know, lose him. Uh, especially when they had the injury to Robert Williams earlier in the year. But um, I'm, I'm interested to see how he fits in, um, you know, when he's fully healthy. And it, it appears that that is uh, sooner rather than later. You've been around a long time. I mean, it, it, and you've seen this situation of guys coming back from injury or guys that are healthy but just don't play that much. And then all of a sudden they get called upon to get in and contribute. And it's hard. I mean, it's hard to just come in after not playing and adjust to the speed, uh, you know, to not have – because when you go in the game, you're not expected to be rusty. And yeah. it's not – you know, we we can sit at home and we can uh, uh, criticize or, or uh, evaluate from our arm armchair position, but um, if you've been around long enough, you know that it's hard. I mean, it's hard to come in in those situations. And uh, we, I think we take for granted sometimes that guys in that situation just jump right in. And uh, Duarte, for instance, just jump right in and supposed yeah. to be as good as like he didn't, never missed a beat. Yeah, the speed of the game, Vince, and you're right. I mean, and, and that's what to me has changed in the last 10 years. I, I was just, I, I wrote down this note tonight. Don't know if I'll use it. I mean, like you and Brendan and, you know, as play-by-play people, we have all this preparation. And I've got all this preparation on my chart, but I may only use 5 to 10% of it tonight. I may carry over stuff. But one thing I noted, and this tells you about the speed of the game and what you're referring to, like with Daniel Tice, is the Bulls have increased their scoring in 10 straight seasons. Wow. Hmm. And, but, but you go back in 2012-13, they averaged 93 points per game. Hmm. 
they're averaging 115 points per game now. So it tells you that in a 10-year period, I mean, they're averaging almost 25 points more per game, which means there's a lot more possessions, right? And, and to that point, what you're talking about, the speed of the game today is so much faster than it was even 10 years ago. But to your point, I think it, it can take a while to get adjusted to the speed of the game because any coach and player will tell you as much as you practice and as much as you do, it still does not simulate what you're going to face in an NBA game. So that's why you'll see players come back and, and have a minutes restriction or those types of things because the game is just so much faster these days. Well, and guys are, I mean, teams are taking 43 pointers a game. Right. I mean, can you believe? Right. I mean, it's incredible the number of three point shots that are going up these days. If you're, you know, old enough to remember, like you said, the the years of the Bulls where they were scoring, you know, ninety eight a game. Hmm. I mean, it was uncommon, you know, then if both teams were over a hundred in a, you know, in a lot of ways. Uh, but nowadays, man, if you saw an NBA game where both teams scored under a hundred, you'd be curious yeah. as to what happened. Yeah, I mean. It, one of the games this year, what was it, Miami and the Pacers, it was 89-82, and I, I thought, man, we are back in like uh, <laughs> 2011 or 2012. But think back to some of those playoff games yep. that the Pacers played in the early 2000s. Oh, yeah. They were playing games. I remember there was a game against Detroit. It was like 72-67. to 67. Yeah. <laughs> mm. That's a third-quarter score for most games these days. That's right. That's right. Hey, you're the best, Chris. I appreciate it. Uh, longtime uh, fan and longtime friend, and uh, certainly uh, glad to have you on with us today. Thanks for your insight, and uh, we'll uh, look forward to seeing the game tonight, Pacers and the Bulls. Oh, always great to talk to you, Vince, and thanks, Brandon. We'll talk to you guys soon. Thanks, Chris. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. St. Jude treats children across the country and around the world, regardless of color, creed, or financial capability, because they're committed to love and care for their neighbors. Join me in helping St. Jude give every child with cancer the chance they deserve to survive. Together, we can save more lives. Call now to become a partner in hope. 1-800-411-9898. That's 1-800-411-9898. Mike Chappell, uh... Segwaying from Elvis to the king of the Colts, the guy who has uh, covered the Colts for, Mike, has it been like 40 years? Well, since 84, do the math. Wow. I mean, my Ball State math doesn't work for me all the time, but yeah, yeah since 84. Yeah, I'm a Ball Stater too, so I have to take my shoes off usually when I get above about 10. Um, <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm curious about this, and we had a little bit of this conversation with Denary from a broad, as a broadcaster. I'm, I'm curious about the media side of because I, I don't think people really understand what goes into being a beat reporter but in that course of time what's been the biggest change as a reporter and how you cover the team whether it's access or tools or things you can or can't do or people you can or can't in regards to how you have covered the team all these years well i guess you'd say tools and as the internet yeah I mean, in the past, you know, what you had as information is what you had, whether it was from agents or players or someone with a team. And that was something that you took time and and really worked on. Now, you still do that. I mean, you still do that. But you didn't have 
10 different people with blogs who who have sources that only they know who the who the hell they are and it, it you, so so that you're flooded with information you know brush fire brush fires went on since the start that you know the sports would say hey i heard this i said well, where'd you hear that he said well i saw it posted and so, so you spent so much time chasing things and putting out fires and maybe one out of 10 things were right so th- that's what i've always said about the, to me the internet is the good and the bad is the good is it's, it's immediate. There's an immediate exchange of information, and and right now, and the bad thing is it, it happens right now, and it seems like we're not as concerned about accuracy, and and also accountability. If, if you're wrong, they people, those people move on to the next topic. So that that's the main thing because you still do, you still do your work. You still. I'm, I'm sort of past the part where I text, you know, 20 agents and all that. I, I just, they wore me down. But that's what you do. You've got your own sources. You trust them and you honor them. When they tell you something, either on the record, or off the record, you you trust them or they're no longer, they don't, no longer work with you. So, but the internet and, and the immediacy and how think it's, it's funny, someone who just happens to have a blog, They'll report that, well, you know, we hear the Colts are going to hire, bring back Tony Dungy as a coach, whatever, whatever you want to say. And then all it takes is somebody else to say, well, it's been reported that. Yeah. Well, no, it's not been reported. Yeah. It, was just, it was thrown out there. Yeah. So then they take on a life of their own. And that's where people really, really need to be careful about what's been reported and what's been thrown against the wall. And the really good reporters do that. And the lazy ones are the ones that aren't so good. They just take it and run with it, and it just, it just mucks up the work. It works. At what point? And I don't know if there was a particular, if there was a particular move or transaction that that this changed. But but you'll relate to to this of when it changed from being most important to be right to being most important to be first. Right or wrong, be question. damned. You know that, that that's the, that's a good question. I don't know, and anyone who says, you know, if if I'm first with five things, and I had two of them right, that's not you know, yeah, that'll get you in the baseball Hall of Fame <laughs> with your batting average, but that's just not good enough. You just can't be first to be first, and you're wrong. It just doesn't work. And if you do it often enough, then you know people. You know, established myself, the guys at the Star and the Athletic and ESPN and, and all the other, I say reputable, but but established media sites. You, you understand who you can trust and who you can't trust. When I see things, you know, th- there are certain people I, I read on the internet, and you, you can't. You know, I, I, I've used sources as well because they, the guy doesn't want his name used. But when I see some guys use sources, I don't trust them. Mm. And a lot of guys I see use sources. I said, you know, this guy's really respected. He, he, he does his work, and he doesn't just throw stuff against the wall. So you really have to to, to consider the source of, of people using sources. But again, it's just too easy now to have a voice, and and you have the hot take, you know, that that everyone wants wants to have now. And you know, if you say that. You know, you put out there that sources tell me the culture going to hire 
Dan Quinn as a head coach. And they're not even – they're not there yet. Well, then if it happens to be Dan Quinn, they say, see, I had it. I had mm-hmm. it first. Mm-hmm. And just, just because you threw on the wall, and that, that that's my problem. Yeah. And it, it's easy to do that, and you never hear that guy say when he was wrong for the 10th time, mm. oh, I missed that one. Yeah, yeah. So it, that, that that's the biggest – yeah, Problem times I've got, and, and it's only going to get worse. Yeah, times have changed, that's for sure. Um, last year, the first coaching hire came, I think, what, like the 27th of January, the Bears hiring Eberflus, is that right? So, I mean, where are we? So. Where are we? Is is the Colts hire coming sooner rather than later or not? I say later rather than sooner. Yeah. Uh, Ballard told us mid-February, which I, I think that that is probably a good time frame. Uh, they've had. I, I think they're done with the first round in, in, unless they wait for D'Amico Ryan's. They can't talk to him until uh, the Niners are done with this this weekend's game. Uh, and then then they're going to pare it down. Maybe they pare it down this week, five six. You know, to, to have more than five or six in the second round to me doesn't doesn't make a lot of sense. I would I would like to think that by then, after talking to thirteen or fourteen people, I guess thirteen whatever it is. Uh, I would think you'd got to, you'd have a really good idea of who that guy is and how you want to proceed. The one thing that Chris Ballard mentioned last month when we talked to him is you go you go in with an open mind because if you go in with a certain type or person that you're looking for, sometimes you miss a really good candidate that, that, that just surprised you. So I, I think they they come down to a five or six. You know, second round, and then that, that's when, when the owner gets involved. Are and, the and oh, go ahead, Mike. I'm sorry. No, no, you you go ahead. I, I was gonna say when the are are all these interviews done in person? Whether it's audiobooks or all time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at kisqali.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. Hey, fam. I'm asking for your support. Help us raise money for St. Jude's Children's Research Hospital. Families never receive a bill from St. Jude for treatment, travel, housing, or food so they can focus on helping their child live. By pledging just $19 a month, you're helping St. Jude give every child with cancer a chance. Help St. Jude save lives. Call 1-800-411-9898. That's 1-800-411-9898 and become a partner in hope today. Most of these, to my knowledge, have been virtual. Man, time. Well, you talk about times have changed, right? I mean, you know, I mean, nowadays we used to think, oh, we we couldn't work from home, and now nobody wants right. to go to the office. Well, I, I think you do the you, the, the, the second interview's got to be in person, though, right? If you oh, bring them back no, no for question. a second, that, right? And that's why it, it probably the logistics doesn't make much sense to try to bring to to bring those these guys in because these guys are also talking to other teams. Yeah. Whether it's Callahan or Urban or uh, uh, Dan Quinn or whomever it is, so yeah. But when you get to the second stage, it needs to be face to face. And again, that's when I think the owner gets involved. And keep in mind that Ballard does all the heavy lifting and the legwork, and will have serious input. And then the owner makes the final decision. So, but yeah, it, 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 that's why I say it's going to be another, I think, couple of weeks. And, and if your guy that you want it is a coordinator in the Super Bowl, then you wait. 
So, so these, it, so this it, first it, round of interviews, Mike, if they're being done virtually, uh, who's who's on? Do you think Ursay is on those Zooms as I well don't as? Think so yeah, I think I'm sure it's Ballard. Now whether he's got a few of his assistants, personnel people, Ed Dodds, whomever, perhaps. Uh, and and again, they, they record these, so then I'm sure that they can look back and and, and evaluate, or or the owner can can kind of see what's going on. Uh, but 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 this is again, and this is uh, I saw Zach Kiefer wrote that this is the most a team has has interviewed candidates in the last three or four years, which is fine. There, there's no hurry to to do it uh, as long as the guy that you want doesn't sign somewhere else, and we've not had that yet. It's it's like everybody's waiting for Sean Payton to, to pick where he wants to go, but but it, it, it's it, it's I think what's awkward. I think this is the first year where we've had coordinators have talked before the division games. Yeah. You know, and, and boy, can you, can you imagine if you talk to a coordinator and then his, his, his team and his side of the ball just stinks, mm-hmm. stinks. Yeah. And they say, well, you know, if you hadn't been so concerned about talking to the Colts, maybe you guys would have done better in, in your game. Yeah. But the flip side is they wanted these guys to have a chance to be, you know, in the thick of the process and not have jobs dry up before they have a chance to really be a candidate. So I see both sides, but it really puts these coordinators in a very awkward position. I, If I was a head coach, uh, I wouldn't want my coordinators interviewing for another job until we're done. I mean, it just opens yourself up to too much uh, criticism and whether it, or not it makes a difference or not, it just the perception of it and what it opens you up to, uh, I wouldn't want that headache. Even though these guys are very, they're very able to, to to time manage and all that stuff. You're right. It's just that's whatever you do is time away from not what you should be doing. Uh, but at the same time, these guys are looking for that next for that first big job, unless you've been a coach before. So you want to give him every chance, but it it just it gives you it gives you the opportunity to really mess it up, hmm. and, and and then have something slip through the cracks or whatever or. Not really be impacted by the interview, but you just your team plays bad. It just looks bad. Chep, I know quite the wide net has been cast in this coaching search, and the hot thing now in the league, of course, is to go after the young coordinator or the young guy. But do you get a sense that this team, at least in the spot they're in right now, can really use somebody with some experience? Yeah, and I've talked to a few people, and they ideally they'd like. A, a, a guy who's been there and done that, uh, even though it's going to be a guy that that was fired before, obviously. Yeah. But with the idea that that they'll have a good opportunity to learn from what they did wrong, and, and build on what they did right. Uh, but at the same time, you've got these. Let's say they get a Dan Quinn because he's he was what the Falcons for five years, I think it was two playoffs, and and then the the flame out when he got fired. But if he if it's a defensive guy, he sure better have a strong offensive staff, like lined up as much as you can, because this wherever this team goes moving forward, it'll go as far as the quarterback goes. Whoever they they get in the April draft, he's he's got to be the focal point. So if it's Dan Quinn, who's your coordinator? Who's your who's your quarterback coach? And the problem is you're not going to get Bill or Brian Callahan from Cincy or, or Steichen from 
Philly or whatever because you know they got jobs. So I that's why I I favor an offensive guy because you know you're getting a guy who's done it, you know, in his specialty and done it at a high level. The the the, the warning I always have for people is is keep in mind that that. Steichen's not bringing Jalen Hurts or A.J. Brown. He's, you know, and Callahan's not bringing Joe Burrow and all these great receivers. So you, you've got to make sure that, you, that you're, as a team, you're convinced that this guy, as great as he's been working in Cincy with, with that great offense and all those skill players, can, can do the job with, with, with not that. Mm. Not have with a young quarterback, with, with, with a, a supporting cast you're going to have to build around. But I would still rather have a guy that that has shown he can work with a young quarterback, as opposed to a head coach who has a defensive background. And hey, trust me, I, I'll bring in people to work with the offense. That would make me a little bit nervous. That's why I I kind of lean towards a young offensive mind. But we'll see kind of what Chris Ballard and, and, and how Jim Mercy want to do this. Yeah, we talked about that a little bit earlier, too. And I think that when you if you do bring in a defensive coach and your offensive coordinator has success, then immediately he's going to be a candidate for the next head coaching vacancy. And then right. you're starting over again. And uh, if whereas if you've got an offensive head coach, you know, he's got his thumbprint on the offense regardless of whether the coordinator stays or goes. Um, so I, I agree. And that, especially it's such an offensive league now. Um, you, If you don't have your offense in tune, uh, you're not going anywhere. I, I wrote something earlier in, in the week about the, the the head coaching search and the quarterback search. And I, I tell you, somebody can maybe talk me off the island, but to me it is so much more important to get the quarterback right. Mm. Than the head coach. Let's say you bring in a head coach and he just doesn't work. Okay, you fire him and you move on in two years. Boy, the, the quarterback, you're, you're sort of tied to this guy for four or five years. Not necessarily the guy. If, if he doesn't work, okay, fine, you get rid of him. And, but then you're back in searching for the next quarterback. And we've seen how hard it is to get that guy. It's got to be the right time, the right place. You know, you you got to be bad and be top of the draft and every quarterback's there. I just think that getting the quarterback right is so important. And and that's why, you know, yes, the coach is important, yes. But, boy, if, if, you, if, if you get the right coach and the quarterback is Jamarcus Russell, I just don't know where mm. you go as a franchise. And we, we had that conversation too, Mike. I, I think that, uh, you know – it not only it, I mean it can set you back I mean it will set you back if if in five years you decide okay I'm going to cut bait and get rid of this guy okay now I got to find another quarterback but you also just wasted a top five pick in the draft when you could have gotten an offensive lineman or an edge rusher or you know that number one right wide receiver I mean it, it not just hurts you at the quarterback position it hurts you where you could have also drafted maybe uh, a guy that could be the cornerstone of your offensive line for the next 10 years or whatever the well, case may be. Top, and on top of that, the rest of your roster is getting yeah. old. Yeah. All of, all of a sudden, Jonathan Taylor's two or three years older and Michael Pittman. So it, it just, and, and again, we, we, it, we've seen so much through the years. You, you, you get the guy who you think's the guy. And after three years, you say, well, I really don't know. I mean, they're sort of there in New York with the, with the Giants and Daniel Jones. Yeah. They've had five years. And yes, it, it, it's you've invested so much time 
not so much money the way the structures are now, but all everything around him. And then you got to start it over again. Mm. And and it's just, it's just hard. We, again, we've seen since Luck retired how hard it is to, to, to just re, you just don't go out and get a guy. And what's made the Colts situation so worse for the fan base and everybody is you look around and you see Joe Burrow and Patrick Mahomes and Herbert and Allen. There have been a few busts in there. There have been a few busts in there, though, too. I mean, the, yeah. the teams but, but are dealing get, with, right? But when you get the guy, you, you know, he can do yeah. – like I mentioned, with, with, Luck and, with Luck and Manning, you know, I, I pointed the game in, in 2003 when the Colts trailed Tampa 35-14 to 14 with five minutes to play. And that quarterback, if, if he's that guy, he gives you a chance to win it. Hmm. Remember Andrew Luck was yeah. down 38-10. to 10. Mm-hmm. In the playoffs, that guy can do that. And if you don't have that guy, you better be darn good. You know, but Brock Purdy, well, yeah, he's getting by because he's got the number one defense in the league, and and he's got Christian McCaffrey. You know, so if you don't have that quarterback, you better be awfully good everywhere else. Yeah, I think Purdy's done a good job of not beating himself. I mean, you had the high price. Dak Prescott throws two interceptions. Purdy throws none. And I thought that was really the difference in the game. Do you see, Mike, do you see – that guy in the draft at the quarterback position, because I'm I'm, I'm skeptical. I, I'm skeptical. I, I, yeah, I, I don't think we. There's another. No one's even actually thinking there's a, even a Trevor Lawrence. Yeah, and and, and he was considered in that Manning, uh, Andrew Luck level. No, I, I don't. I don't see a Joe Burrow, but you, you don't have to have. It'd be great to have that guy, but you can win at a high level with a really good quarterback, not a great quarterback. And that's what they have to do. They have to get the right guy who is a legitimate quarterback, a legitimate NFL quarterback who can make the plays. And hey, if he turns into something more, remember Jalen Hurts was a second round pick. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, so as long as you as long as you don't whiff, as long as you got a guy that that's legit can play at a high level and occasionally make the great plays and win your games fine. Because I'm one of those that believes this roster isn't as awful as some people think. I think I think there's good pieces in place if they can get into the line to play better or back to their level and all that. They've got some good pieces. But until you get that the, the quarterback, it, it, it's, just, it's just too hard to win without that guy. And, and you said you don't see that guy in the quarterback uh, group this year. So do you? But do you see any way, shape, or form? And just hypothetically speaking, say the Colts are going to stay at number four and not move. Do you see any way at all that they would not take a quarterback at number four? Boy, they need to explain what they're doing. Well, we would know because by the draft, if that's if they're sitting there today saying there's not a guy worth it. And we're going to take a, a pass rusher, a left tackle. We will we'll know because they will they will have signed a free agent quarterback. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but again, then here we go again. Mm-hmm. Marcus Mariota or Derek Carr or, or whomever. Okay, trade for Aaron Rodgers. I mean, really. Mm-hmm. But because you can't wait till the draft to do that. I just I no I don't see how they they do that. They've tried recycling and it doesn't work. It worked one year with Philip Rivers. Uh, wasn't great, but was good. They have. I know how badly the owner is committed to drafting and developing and, and doing it that way. I would be. I would be so shocked 
if come draft time they sit there at four. I don't think they sit there at four. I think they've got to move up uh, to get a quarterback because, you know, three quarterbacks should go to the top three because people below you need quarterbacks, Atlanta, Carolina. Uh, but they, they, they can't keep doing this. They know they can't keep doing this. So I think they move up to probably probably to one and get the guy they want. And then if it doesn't work, you say, man, we, 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 we swung for the fences and it didn't work, but doggone it, at least we tried. I, I would be beyond shocked if they sat at four and took the best, the best player and he's a tackle or, or a pass rusher. Chap, last thing for me, just back to the coaching front, the great unknown in all of this seems to be Jeff Saturday and what they have in mind with him interview-wise. But like, if they choose to pursue that and they bring back Saturday with Ballard at GM, how do they sell that to the fan base? Oh, they can't. They can't. Uh, and again, that's to, that's not saying that he 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 may not be. Uh, he he could be the coach. I, I I've not ruled that out at all. Uh, I think when they, if 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 they reveal who their final five or six are, I believe he'll get a second interview. I I believe that. I, I think Jim Mercy truly believes in Jeff Saturday, and he wants to know how he would operate starting from ground zero and. Well, in, in February or, or end of January, to where this is his team, his organization. But I, I for the life of me, I and I, I'm a great BSer. I can write, I can BS things. I don't know how I could sell that to the fan base. I really don't, because all you can do is sell what you've got. And as as much as Jeff might be the answer if he's given the chance to start from scratch. You still have to say, but th- th- this is what you did in, in an awful situation. I mean, it was an awful situation when he came in here, but that's still that's still your resume. And yeah, they made they made you know minor I- improvements in a few places, but I, I just don't know how they can sit there when the day they announced that and say Jeff's our head coach, and this is why. I mean, I, I don't know how they would do that, and however they spun it. Fan base ain't gonna buy it. Won't buy it. Now, if that's important to the owner, then he won't do it. But but if the owner really believes that Jeff's the right guy, he's gonna go with Jeff Saturday. He will. And then and then Jeff's staff will really really be important, offense, defense, and all that. But I personally, I don't. I I'd, I'd hate to have the have Jim Mercy come to me and say, you know, I'm gonna hire Jeff Saturday, and and I want you to write the speech on why hmm. I should do it. Mm. I don't know that I could do that with a straight face. I really don't. And I, and I like Jeff from here to tomorrow, but I, in, in this situation, it just doesn't feel right. Yeah, great drama. Yeah, it's great drama, and you you can't script it. I mean, it's uh, it's such a hugely important time for this franchise. Yeah. Mike, I appreciate your insight. You're the uh, absolute best. I, I'd love to have you on sometime and just talk about what it's like to be. We're up against it here, but just people don't understand the hours and the commitment to be a beat reporter. It's, the I think, the hardest job in, in our business, and I don't think there's anybody that's done it better than you. You've been um, you're, you've been the best. I appreciate you. And, I appreciate uh, you. Yeah. Give me a call sometime. We'll make it work. Yeah, sounds good. Thank you, Mike. Thanks, Ed. Be that's, well. Thanks, Chef. Mike Chappell and uh, The Motor Shop and TheMotorShop.com.